This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Lots to do today. Uh, the This is the, the craziest story of the week for me. Article in the New York Times. The economy of France is so awful that the government has created a fake economy of 5,000 businesses. Uh, they're, it's not real. They're, they're not job training programs. It's a fake economy existing in a parallel universe within the real economy that is barely moving at all. That It's the weirdest story I've ever read, and we'll explain that coming up. Uh, also, progressives don't know who Marcus Luttrell is. That is not good for our country. And we'll talk about why the NSA, knowing all the phone calls you've made and all the emails you've sent, why that's a why that's a problem, and we'll use Dennis Hastert uh, as an example. Now, I'm I, Dennis Hastert is not a saint, and if the accusations against him, uh, what he did when he was a wrestling coach, are true, that's awful and like really the worst thing that you could do, really. But the FBI didn't get him in trouble for that; they got him on lying to the FBI for doing something completely legal. Withdrawing money from your bank account and paying someone hush money is legal. Blackmail is illegal. So demanding money from someone to keep quiet is illegal. But giving money to someone to keep quiet, that's legal. So what Dennis Hassard did was legal. But they got him anyway. And the big picture is, is if the government wants to get you, they'll find a way. So there's a lot going on there that will break down. Also, the EPA yesterday or two days ago has deemed fracking safe. And you know they didn't want to do that, but they couldn't find a shred of evidence that fracking is dangerous. So they had to begrudgingly come out and say that it's safe. So lots to do, but I want to start here. Senate, state Senate, California. So it's coming to a state near you. Uh, has just passed a bill. That will give illegal immigrants free health care in California. How about them apples? Legal immigrants, free health care. It's our uh, program here in California. It's called Medi-Cal. It's a free health care. Legal immigrant. Awesome. So what does that mean for citizens? Well, if you're a citizen of this country and of California and you're on Medi-Cal, there's already a shortage of doctors. So the wait times just got a lot longer. A couple months ago in California, illegal immigrants were allowed to get driver's licenses. And the DMV was swamped. Just crazy. Line, I mean, I was going to say lines out the door. There's always lines out the door, but leave it longer than usual. But the DMV for these illegal immigrants, they added extra people and extra shifts to meet the demand, which was the first time ever that customer service was a priority for the DMV. Uh, and they, they made it so that they could get, you know, people could go through the line as quickly as possible. That was a one-time surge of illegal immigrants going to the DMV, right? It's a one-time deal. But now they're going to take a couple million people 
and add them to an already overburdened and broke government program. And all the people of California and across the country are going to be paying for that because California taxpayers, even though our tax rate's 13.3%, state tax, uh, still doesn't fund all of Medi-Cal. So a lot of that's paid for by you through the federal government. It's just... Crazy. Like that, that just seems crazy. Let, let me back it up for a second here, if, if you don't mind. Um, there's something I've been thinking about, and, and I haven't completely organized these thoughts yet. So if you can help me out, I'd appreciate it. My Twitter is uh, Slater Radio, and our Facebook page is search for the Mike Slater Show. You can help me make, make sense. But there's this term I've been thinking about. Uh, I'm, I'm deeming it false compassion. We have a doctrine of false compassion in America, where in the name of loving, in the name of helping, in the name of making sure someone doesn't feel bad about themselves, I am going to be understanding of everything that you want. And then I'm going to pat myself on the back because I'm compassionate. I see it happen all the time. But when you do that, you're not really helping that other person. Therefore, you have no reason to feel good about yourself. Now, at the risk of going down a completely different road here, uh, which I don't really want to go down, uh, I see it socially with, with Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. Right? Magazine cover comes out. Uh, I, I, okay. When I was in college, uh, it was the first time I ever heard of the, the pronoun Z. Not he, not she, but Z. Z-H-E. And I was taught in college that uh, that's the uh, gender-neutral pronoun, Z. I don't know if that's still the correct nomenclature to use, but that's how I was taught. So Z uh, is on the cover and everyone goes on and on about how brave Z is. And ESPN is going to give uh, Bruce Jenner the, the Arthur Ashe Cor- Courage Award, Award. And people going on about how beautiful Z is and so stunning. Like, none of that is compassionate. It's really not. But everyone does it because they want to be seen as a nice person. They want to be seen as an understanding person. They want to be seen as a loving person. And they want to pat themselves on the back about how wonderful they are. 46 million Americans on food stamps. That's not compassionate to allow that to continue. It's not compassionate to help it grow. It's not. And you can pat yourself on the back. But you're not doing this country and you're not doing individual people any favors. And it's frustrating. Proverbs 27, 6. It's one of my favorites. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. It's an enemy that tells you everything is wonderful and everything is great and you're doing perfectly. Keep doing everything you've been doing. You're, you're perfect just the way you are. In fact, here's an award for your courage. That's what an enemy does. That's not compassion. 
and you get no bonus points for being a great person by allowing this brokenness to exist. And not only allowing it to exist, but allowing it to exist and calling it beautiful. Does that make sense? It's one thing if you see if you see sin or if you see something that's broken and you just ignore it. That's bad enough. It's another thing if you see it and and you shower it with praise. And I'm not just talking about former Olympic gold medalists, right? I'm, I'm talking about a lot of things going on in our country right now. Let's just do the 46 million Americans on food stamps, right? You look at that and you say, ah, oh, that's a good thing. No, that's an awful thing. That is an awful, terrible thing. The word compassion, it literally means to suffer together. Calm means uh, together. And then pati is the Latin. It means actually uh, to suffer. It's where we get the word passion. And I know you're thinking, hold on. Passion. How is passion and suffering the same. Uh, just think of the movie, The Passion of the Christ. The Passion of the Christ. Have you ever wondered why it's called that? The Passion of the Christ. The suffering of Jesus. He took on the sins of the whole world in his suffering. The whole world. So in the 16th century, the word passion came to mean uh, like when you put your all into something. Right? And, and so it's what you dedicate all of your life to. Uh, what you suffer for, right? Because you make sacrifices for, so you, you dedicate all of yourself to, you have a passion for that thing. That's how the word suffering and passion uh, sort of came to mean the same thing. That makes sense? Point is, compassion means to suffer with. And if you keep calling everything amazing and everything, I'm not, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but if you keep calling it, if other people in this country keep calling everything Uh, amazing and everything's awesome and everything's beautiful and everyone's doing everything perfectly. Don't change a thing. You don't want to feed your kids. Totally cool. You're on disability, but not really disabled. I won't judge. You want to be a 65 year old grandfather and wear lingerie on a magazine cover. Oh, you're so brave, right? Like you're, we're not doing this country any favors. So to bring it back to illegal immigrants uh, and giving them all well, uh, healthcare, that's not compassionate. That's not It's false compassion. Every immigrant who's ever come to America made a way. They teamed up with family members. They joined up with social clubs. They joined organizations. They they found charities. They found jobs. We've never given government handouts to immigrants. Ever, 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 ever. And now it's expected. And if you disagree, then you're not being compassionate. When the truth is, giving all of this away is not the compassionate thing to do. We got it backwards. And the reason it's not compassionate is because there's no together there, right? Compassionate, to suffer together. You can, only be compa- you can only have compassion for someone if you do it with them, if you do it side by side. And when government does something, we no longer have to be compassionate because the bureaucracy is there, for us, uh, there instead of us. The most important part of compassion is the human touch. It's the love that comes with helping someone. And government eliminates that. But all these social justice warriors get to think they're amazing because they're being compassionate from a distance. 
right? Look how great of a person I am. Uh, you know, I, I, I voted to take money from someone to give to someone else. I'm going to heaven. I'm great. <laughs> like, no, that's not right. That's the doctrine of false compassion. So we have to always ask ourselves, is what I'm doing, is what I'm supporting, is this really compassionate of me? Or is it a way for me to not do what I should do and still feel good about myself? Right? Is it a way, is this this program or whatever I'm supporting, is this a way for me me to not do what I know I should, but still pat myself on the back and tell me what a great person I am? Because almost every government program falls into that category. And therefore, by definition, not compassionate. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, one 93 Talking about false compassion. Makes sense, right? Makes sense why it exists. We're all good people. We all want to be nice. We all want to be well-liked. So just tell people what they want to hear. Um, I got six minutes. I want to talk about Caitlyn Jenner uh, for a second. But don't change the station because it's not really about Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, it's about our society. Caitlyn Jenner can do whatever Z wants. I, I, I don't care. I don't care. I, I really, really don't care. What I'm concerned about is society's reaction to this. And let me say there may be some adultish themes discussed in the next five minutes. So if you have any kids in the car or in your house right now, um, you may want to just turn the volume down for just a couple minutes. I want to tell the story of Walt Hayer. Um, this is not the story of all trans people. This is a story. Uh, his grandmother always wanted a granddaughter, but Walt's mom had him. When mom would drop Walt off at grandma's house, she would make him put on dresses. And he's super young at this point, you know, three, four, five years old. And grandma called it our little secret. And when he wore dresses at grandma's house, grandma lavished him with praise. And he says, feelings of euphoria swept over me, followed later by depression and insecurity about being a boy. Her actions planted the idea in me that I was born in the wrong body. Then when Walt was nine years old, his uncle, be his dad's brother, molested him. And he told on Uncle Fred, but dad believed his brother instead. So Walt tried to be an alpha male, growing up, playing all the sports, and he went on to work at the Apollo space mission as a design engineer. But throughout that, he struggled with his gender identity. And it wasn't until he was 36 years old, or I should say he did struggle until he was 36 when he decided to have sexual reassignment surgery changed his name social security card driver's license had the whole surgery the whole thing Uh, if i may read from walt it's hard for me to describe what happened next the reprieve provided by surgery and life as a woman was only temporary hidden deep underneath the makeup and female clothing was the little boy carrying the hurts from traumatic childhood events Being a female turned out 
to be only a cover-up, not healing. I knew I wasn't a real woman, no matter what my identification document said. I had taken extreme set steps to resolve my gender conflict, but changing hadn't worked. Obviously a masquerade. I felt I'd been lied to. How in the world had I reached this point? Why did I become a fake woman? I went to another gender psychologist and she assured me that I would be fine. I just needed to give my new identity as Laura more time. I had a past, a battered and broken life that living as Laura did nothing to dismiss or resolve. Feeling lost and depressed, I drank heavily and considered suicide. Long story short, he later confronted the original psychologist that he met with and that person admitted that he never should have uh, approved Walt for the surgery. So Walt now runs a support group online for those with transgender surgery regret. And by now, perhaps you've heard of Dr. McHugh. He was a psychologist at Johns Hopkins in the 1970s. Johns Hopkins in Baltimore was the first place to do gender reassignment surgeries. And he wrote in the Wall Street Journal actually last year that transgender is a mental dysmorphic disorder. Uh, he, he said it's not much different than anorexia or, or bulimia. There's lots of dysmorphic disorders. Right? Anorexia, you think you're fat, you think you're overweight, and you're not. You're, just, you're not seeing things clearly. And he led a study at Johns Hopkins following those who had surgeries in the 70s. And he said most of the surgically treated patients described themselves as satisfied by the results, physically satisfied. But their subsequent psychosocial adjustments were no better than those who didn't have the surgery. And so at Johns Hopkins, we stopped doing sex reassignment surgery since producing a satisfied but still troubled patient seemed an inadequate reason for surgically amputating normal organs. Now get this, another, uh, uh, other studies have found that 80% of, of kids who are confused about their gender identity when, when they're younger lose those, that confusion when they hit puberty. Okay? Say five, six, seven years old, you're like, ah, what am I? I don't know. You're trying to figure yourself out in the world. You, 80% of kids lose that when they hit puberty. But you know what they do at Boston's Children's Hospital? They give kids chemicals that delay hormones so and, and it delays puberty so that sex change surgeries later in life are less difficult. They're doing that to kids, even though 80% of kids who are confused lose those feelings once they hit puberty. That is, that is that's child abuse to me. Here's why I share this. Because I know what you're thinking, Cider. I thought we weren't going to talk about Bruce Jenner uh, or Caitlyn Jenner. I'm not. It's about false compassion. It's about a society pretending to be compassionate and patting ourselves on the back for calling someone else brave. As opposed to being really compassionate and helping someone overcome a serious issue. I'll end with the the good doctor. Uh, He says, sex change is uh, biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. And claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention, ready, is in reality to collaborate with and promote a mental disorder. It is not compassionate to collaborate and promote with this. But in our society today... Mike Slater. 
We're told it is. Generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders. Um, it's a safe place, right? We're all friends here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring this up. I put it on our Facebook page a couple days ago. It's gotten way more shares and comments than I I thought it would. And I I don't even know I don't even know what to do with it. So I'm just, I'm just gonna put it right here, and you can do whatever you want with. it. Um, it sounds crazy, but we live in a crazy world and I guess we've always lived in a crazy world, but not now the craziness is celebrated. That's the big difference. Let me take a quick time out. I was, um, so every Friday on my local show, we talk with Dr. David Jeremiah, um, his church is Shadow Mountain and Turning Point Ministry. You may be familiar with that. It's across the country. Actually, Dr. David Jeremiah is the number one talk show in the whole world. Right. Um, most listened to talk show in the world. Most listened to talk personality, I guess you could say. Anyway, uh, they got a new series going on at his church. It starts tomorrow. And it's about Daniel. And he's going to start it and then do this whole it's gonna have a bunch of rallies and stuff. And I'm really excited about it. I don't even really know the full extent of it, but it's going to be good. Uh, because he says, you know what, Slater? We're not doing it right. We're not we're not standing up in the right way. Um, if you stand down, then you're being a coward. If you stand aside, then you're compromising. And if you stand against, then you're just causing hatred and friction, and that's not good. We need to stand up. And how do we do that? I have some ideas, but I'm really excited to hear what he's going to say, and and we'll reflect on it as the weeks go on. But I bring that up because I think we're in a country that we've been doing a lot of standing down, we've been doing a lot of standing aside, and I think our next reaction is to stand against, but that's not going to do anything either. We need to stand up. So I'm just going to, if we continue down this path of standing aside and standing down, this right here will become the next thing. There's an article about this in the uh, Canada National Post. It's a movement called um, Transabled. And they tell the story of people who wear leg braces even though they don't need them. And they use wheelchairs even though their legs are perfectly fine. And people who fake being paralyzed because they feel that's how they should be. And it's more than just people who do it to get on disability or whatever. It's more than that. It's, 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 I feel like I'm paralyzed. I feel like I should be paralyzed. So I'm going to pretend to be paralyzed. Even to the point where there are people who cut off their own limbs because they feel like imposters in their bodies where their arms and legs are in full working order. And they don't think that's how they're, that's, that's not how they feel. So they change. I'm not even kidding. And there's people who have a desire to be deaf and blind and, and, like I said, even paraplegic. 
So they do these things to themselves. And to many in the psych community in this everything goes, <laughs> came on society, this is becoming acceptable behavior. And again, I promise you this is all true. And really, it's, it's not new, right? The impulse to mutilate your body has been around for a long time. I don't mean like decades, I mean centuries has been around. But only in the last few years has this been seen as a way of self-expression rather than a disorder and a big problem. And I know this sounds crazy, but in our world today where gender reassignment surgery is seen as heroic, what's the moral difference really in cutting off your arm from cutting off your genitalia in order to express your true self? Like really, it's it's not that different. And the idea of performing surgeries to become disabled purposefully may seem super strange now and you're brushing this off and I get it. But is that really any more immoral than abortion? Right? I, I think I think it's less immoral. Right? And we have abortion today where women are told it's the right and moral thing to do. Is that any stranger than performing surgery on your sexual organs? I mean, it's all sort of in the same camp of like, whoa, this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> And trust me, I I don't like talking about this stuff. I'm as uncomfortable as you are. But the goal here with these people who experience these impulses to be disabled on purpose, and the medical treatment needs to focus on what drives these impulses, not on drastic body modifications to cater to these impulses. And that's really why I bring this this up and this whole 40 minutes we're talking about false compassion, like... People want to do things, okay? Uh, People have wanted to do the wrong things for a very long time. And they can make all the excuses. And I, we do, I do too. Make all the excuses in the world why I need and I feel and I want to do these things. I have this impulse to do this thing. Okay. But society should be a constant reminder and a constant encouragement to fight the impulse. Not cater to the impulse. And that's fails us because that's where culture fails us culture used to be constant reminders to keep us moral and keep us righteous and keep us focused and now society is a game on and that's not real compassion and it's so messed up right now it's so difficult to see even what's right like especially when you're in the middle of it um on my local show the other day we've uh let me back it up there's a law in california that passed the assembly it's it's gonna pass the senate in a couple days you have planned parenthood on one side which pushes for abortions right government sponsored by the way the alternative to that are called crisis pregnancy centers i never heard of them until a couple months ago and a crisis pregnancy center is no government funding, certainly. They're pro-life, right? Usually run by uh, at least churches or staffed by people who go to church, whatever. And they're there to encourage life, to be with the mother throughout the crisis pregnancy, and then after the pregnancy, to be with the mother and, and, the, and the child. 
helping the mom be a better parent, helping the baby with, with formulas or whatever and diapers and all that stuff, right? So it's, it's, it's real compassion, right? It's getting alongside, rolling up your sleeves, getting dirty, getting inside someone's life, helping them, bringing them along, fostering them, right? The, the whole thing, that's real compassion. And there's a law in California that would require the crisis pregnancy centers to advocate for abortion and tell the, the woman, the, uh, the soon-to-be mom, about Planned Parenthood and about abortions and, and about all the state benefits you get if you get an abortion and all that stuff, which is crazy because the whole point of the Crisis Pregnancy Center is that you don't have to do that. It is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. I don't want to cheapen it with an analogy, but it's like uh, requiring AA to give directions to the nearest liquor store. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, the point of the Crisis Pregnancy Center is to not get an abortion, and the law is going to require these centers to tell the women about Get how to get abortion. So when you have a, a woman, a girl, 14-year-old, go, go into a crisis pregnancy center and they don't know what to do, it's hard to know the right thing. And abortion centers will take advantage of that and say, having an abortion, that's the compassionate thing. That's the compassionate thing for you. It's the compassionate thing for the man or the male. It's the compassionate thing for your family. It's the compassionate thing for your baby. You're not ready to have this baby. You're not ready to take care of it. Be compassionate and have an abortion. But that's not real compassion. It's a quick fix. Real compassion are the crisis pregnancy centers that say you are worth it. You have value. Your baby has value. And it's going to be hard. But if I can quote Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Dallas, we roll up our sleeves. We foster. We adopt. We babysit, we come alongside, we free up capital to support, we send off to junior college, and we watch. And it's difficult, and it's messy, and it feels like it will never end, but God honors it, and lives are saved. And young women get established, and they grow into into strong women with beautiful sons and daughters. That's standing up. Not standing down not standing aside, not even just standing against. That's really standing up. And we live in a culture uh, that, that people want the easy way. And then they call it the compassionate way. Let me end on this. And I know I'm wading in dangerous territory with all this talk, but it's going to be very hard to stand up. We were talking during the break about this momentum. It's a tidal wave. And I'll just, I'll just use Caitlyn Jenner as an example because it's, it was like if you go to work and you have 20 people at your work talking about how beautiful she is and how brave she is, how courageous she is, like that is a tidal wave of momentum against you to stand up in front of everyone and be like, ah, uh, you know, you just can't and you don't and it's hard. And I'm not even saying that's the right situation to do that, but it's happening in every realm of our life and it's going to get very difficult to stand up for what is true because there is a really strong effort to eliminate objective truth and reality from our society. And in the meantime, you are going to be portrayed as old fashioned. If this isn't true already, conservative is going to be another word for bigot. It's going to be another word for homophobe and racist and sexist. 
And all of these marginalized behaviors are going to be portrayed as normal. And you are going to become the outsider. And when I say marginalized behavior, how many people in this country do you think are gay? How many men? What percentage of men do you think are gay? I think most people would guess 20%. 10, 15, 20%. 1.8%. 1.8%. That's according to the Center for Disease Control. 1.8% of men self-identify as gay. 1.8? And we're having all this conversation about 1.8% of the people. So trans people must be even smaller than that. So we're talking about like no one. But the game here is to make you, who's in the vast majority, make it seem like you don't exist. Make you feel like you don't exist. To make you the outsider. Make you the marginalized person. And I know all this may seem like a distraction. I hear that. I totally get that. But like, there's Iran. We have you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iran. Iran wants to nuke all the rest. Right? I get it that this seems like a distraction. But it's not. This isn't happening in a vacuum. It's not like we have real news happening over here and this is just craziness over here. No, it's the same. Because the reason you're hearing about all this nonstop, it's part of a bigger picture. Because all of this is being normalized. And it's a result of losing the culture war. And if you lose that, there's nothing left. So what do we do? I know we can't watch and comment anymore. It's not enough. We can't watch and just comment. We need to meet the lies and the deceptions with truth and love. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. Headline on Drudge Report. Uh, we don't judge others for anything, even if destructive. How a massive, silent cultural revolution changed America. Okay, there you go. It's the last hour of the show. Uh, Gallup poll. Very simple question. Is the state of moral values in the country as a whole getting better or worse? Moral values in our country getting better or worse? 72% of Americans said worse. But even social liberals, 58% think morals in this country are getting worse. And I think, well, how can that be true? This is why I don't really talk about polls a lot. Because it depends how you define moral. Because someone who's socially liberal may believe that being pro-life is immoral. So they see maybe more people becoming pro-life. And they say, oh my gosh, look, our country's becoming more immoral. How dare those pro-lifers tell women what they can do with their bodies or not? That's so immoral. Right? <laughs> so, ah, it's a tough question. I got 30, uh, 60 seconds. I want to talk about the socially liberal. Have you ever described yourself or heard someone describe themselves as fiscally conservative and socially liberal? I've described myself like that before. Because that used to mean, while well, I'm for low taxes and more freedom. Socially liberal used to mean more freedom. Do whatever you want. But that's not what it is anymore. Now it has a much more activist element to it. Socially liberal used to mean you don't care if people are gay. Whatever. 
But now socially liberal means you must support gay marriage. And you must join the mob to fire a CEO who supports traditional marriage. And you have to support a bill in California that requires teachers to teach gay history in high school. Socially liberal used to mean maybe I'm pro-choice. Now it means you must support government funding of Planned Parenthood. And you believe Obamacare should force nuns to pay for the morning after bill. Do you see what I'm saying? So socially liberal used to mean more freedom. Now it means more control. It's a bizarre world that we're living in. Let's not get caught up in it. Stand tall. Stand up. Know what you believe in. Don't back down. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater said it's America's greatest country in the world. I have to tell you this story. This is the strangest thing. I've, I've, even compared to the last hour, those things we talked about, this one even is stranger than that. I want to tell you the story of a business called Candila. This is from the New York Times. A business called uh, Candila. They sell office furniture in France. And the article starts at 9.30 in the morning. And the phones are, are ringing off the hook. Orders coming in from all across Europe. They got orders coming in from Switzerland. Orders coming in from Germany. And of course, all, all across different parts of France. And there's about a dozen employees at this business. And you know, they cover it all. They have people in uh, sales. Suppliers, people in shipping. Uh, Sabine, she works in the accounting department. And she's fired up because revenue is outpacing expenses. That's wonderful news. She says, quote, we have to be profitable. And everyone's working all out to make sure that we succeed. Fantastic. Slater, what's the strange part? I don't, I don't see anything strange yet. Okay, um, here's the thing. Uh, that's, that's, it's not a real business. And you're thinking, well, did you just make it up? No, <laughs> it's really there. It's just not a real business. So the phones are ringing just from people pretending to be buying things from Switzerland and Germany. And Sabine, she's real, and she's really going to a building, and she's really typing numbers into a computer, but they're fake numbers. It's all made up. And this isn't the only one. There's, an, there's a business in France called Animal Kingdom. They sell pets. Uh, Art Lim sells porcelain dishes. Uh, Prestige Cosmetics sells perfumes. None of them real. And this is in France. There's 5,000 fake businesses in France. 
And and I gotta say, it's it's not. And you maybe think, well, said it's just a jobs training program. No, it's not. It's this elaborate fake economy that lives parallel to the real economy. And I know it sounds like something out of Inception, but it's not jobs training because they don't really teach people to do things. They just have people pretend to do things. And that's very different. It'd be one thing if they were teaching Sabine how to be an accountant, but they're not. They're having Sabine pretend to be an accountant at a fake business. Why? So that she feels good about herself. And they're doing this because the real economy, the actual economy in France is such a failure because of all the government programs and socialism that the government is paying people to pretend to do work in a fake economy. I know you think I'm making this up, but again, this is from the New York Times. I want to kick it up a notch, uh, kick up the weirdness a notch even here. Quote, inside the companies, workers rotate through payroll, accounting, advertising, and other departments. They also receive virtual salaries to spend within the make-believe economy, right? So this is even, this is bigger than just a jobs training program where you learn to be an accountant. You're paid actual money because you're on um, unemployment, but then you're paid fake money that you can use in the make-believe economy. I don't even know how that would work. Though. Some of the faux companies... This is, again, New York Times, some of the faux companies even hold strikes. A common occurrence in France. One company, a virtual payment processing center, but again, it's not a real payment processing It's a fake payment processing center. Recently staged a fake protest with slogans and painted banners to teach workers' rights and to train human resource staff members to calm tensions. So <laughs> you have people going on strike from a fake job. It's not a real job. They don't really work at a payment process. Well, they do. They go to a payment processing center. But the payment processing center is not real. But they go on strike from it. And the whole argument is, well, you need to learn how to go on strike for when you get a real job, you can go on strike from that job. But the reason they don't have a real job is because people keep going on strike all the time and no one's willing to hire anyone. And it's crazy. And the whole point of it, well, you have the economic argument, right, which is socialism fails, the unemployment rates through the roof. And people, um, and maybe you know when you, if you've ever been unemployed, it's hard. You know, you think it's going to be a party. One of my buddies, long story, uh, but he was off work for six months. It wasn't his fault. And it really genuinely wasn't his fault. And it was, he works for the government and it was a six month, long story. But he, at first he was like, awesome. Six month vacation. He was miserable. He was miserable. Right? When you don't work. You tend to feel bad about your. You get dejected. Uh, you get a little desperate, a little depressed, because people, humans, are born to create. We are born to live in reality, and and create things, not fake things, but real things. 
So because you have so many people in the real economy not working, the government of France thought that if they set up a fake economy and have people still go do fake things, then at least they'll feel good about themselves as if they're, as if they're doing something. So do you get that? I mean, like, that's crazy, but that's the premise here. Now, of course, the obvious is that you don't get a better self-esteem by creating fake things. You need to create real things. I read a book from a former Navy SEAL, and uh, he was done with his service, and he's seen some crazy things, awful things, horrible things. Um, But he kept it together. And... Some people asked him, some of his fellow Navy SEALs, who were suffering pretty bad from PTS, they said, well, how, how'd, you, how'd you keep it together? And he said, you know what I did? I uh, bought some land, and I uh, became a farmer for a year. Because every day he'd wake up, and he'd go to work on the farm. And at the end of a hard day work, he could take a step back and say, I did that. All right. And he could admire his day's work. It's ingrained in us as humans to make things and create value. And it's essential to do something. And then after a job well done, you feel good about yourself and what you accomplished. But this fake reality, it's the opposite. It's we want people to feel good about themselves, so we're going to give them fake things to do. I don't even... But in the end, it creates fake self-esteem. And we do the same thing in our schools today. right? We tell little Johnny that he did a great job and he's wonderful and amazing and all these things, even though he gets the answer wrong. But we tell him he's great because he tried really hard. But we're not doing him any favors by making him feel good without actually helping him do well. So keep this in mind. This was in the New York Times and President Obama and the left read it and said, oh, well, that's a great idea. Why create real shovel-ready jobs when we're going to have fake shovel-ready jobs? Right, so this will come to America in some form. There's Think about this. This isn't just three businesses, fake business. There's 5,000 fake businesses in France. And France isn't even that big. Let me look. Hold on. Population of France. 66 million. So a fifth the size of America? France is about the size of... Uh, let's see, population of New York is New York uh, State, not city, 920 million. And then uh, um, California is like 30 million, I think. So, you know, population of New York and California, yeah, throw in like Washington, I don't know. And, and 5,000 fake businesses? That's a lot. So this will this will come here. I'll leave you with this. This is a, uh, one of my favorite poems from uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who is one of my favorite names. Uh, he wrote a uh, poem called, uh, I think it's called The Village Blacksmith. Maybe it's just called Black. Uh, and it's about Blacksmith. Long poem, but I want to read just this one stanza. 
toiling, rejoicing, sorrowing. Onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin. Each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done. He's earned a night's repose. So the blacksmith saw a task that needed to get done, and he worked all day until it was completed. Something attempted, something done. And because of that, he earned a good night's sleep. He earned it. These government parallel universe economies where nothing is actually getting done, it's sad. And, and dehumanizing. And it's where we're headed. Unless we do what it takes to get the real economy humming again. one 888 Be on the lookout for this. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Mike Slater's 1-888-900-3393. Hey, I'm fired up about uh, David Clarkson's show. The People's Sheriff. Heard him on Glenn uh, the other day. You've heard David Clark a bunch of different places. So how exciting that he's now part of the uh, the Blaze Radio family. Among others, everyone's on uh, theblaze.com slash radio. Um... We we're just talking about the, the again in France they have this fake economy and it expands five thousand fake companies. So also think about it like this. So we we highlighted a uh, fake furniture company, but the phones are actually ringing. So I think it may be a good a good real business to get into of supplying actors to make pretend orders in France's fake economy because there's actual people on the other line. Saying, yeah, I would like, um, you know, a table and uh, and four chairs, but they're not, they don't really want a table and four chairs, and there aren't really tables and four chairs. It's all, it's all fake. <laughs> so you could get in the business of supplying the fake. I don't even know. It hurts my head. It's all very Inception like. Like what if, what if this is a fake? radio show what if, what, what if this isn't really even happening what if i'm not really talking it's trippy uh i'll tell you something that really did happen and something that would get our economy humming again so that there wouldn't need to be a fake economy in a parallel universe next to the real one and that is if we allowed fracking here in america the epa has conceded that fracking is safe you know all about fracking. We don't need to get into it all, but um, it's a process of getting uh, oil out of the ground that previously we, uh, first of all, didn't even know was there. And even if we knew it was there, we couldn't get enough good oil out of it, but now we can with uh, new technology. So fracking has exploded the economies of North Dakota and Texas in particular. There's so much economic growth in North Dakota that Walmart has starting positions at $17 an hour. 
with signing bonuses. <laughs> signing. So this, I always use that whenever uh, people complain about low wages, right? Because we need we need to raise the minimum wage because uh, the, the wages are too low. Well, if you have a humming economy, then that's what makes wages go up. Just look at North Dakota. And there's so much potential for fracking across the country, particularly here in California. Well, I shouldn't say particularly, but because um, there's more across the state. But in California, uh, we have what's called the Monterey Shale Formation right in the middle of the state. We know that there's 15.4 billion barrels of oil there. So if we were allowed to go get it, then that, if we got that oil out of the ground, we could stop all imports from OPEC for eight years. Just if we got the oil out of the Monterey Shale formation. Eight years, no OPEC oil. And that's just what we know of, and that's just one formation in California. America is the energy superpower of the world. Or could be. America could be the energy superpower of the world. It's just our government won't let us. And that's the, the Monterey Shale Formation is 15 billion barrels. There's the, uh, the Green River Formation. It's in Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. Three trillion barrels of oil. Three trillion. Which, at our current use of oil in America, is 428 years. Could cover all of our oil demand in America. All of it. So 428 years. And that's just in that one shale formation. Right? So... We have all the energy we could ever need. And environmentalists freak out about fracking and try to stop it at every turn. And they've made up every ridiculous claim that you can fathom, most notably that fracking pollutes drinking water. But the EPA, of all people, not some Koch brothers study, the EPA. Well, I'll tell you exactly what they said. They said, uh, we did not find evidence that these mechanisms, fracking, have led to widespread systemic impacts on drinking water resources in the United States. Now, you know that the EPA doesn't want fracking. The people at the EPA don't want it. So if there was a sliver of evidence that fracking was dangerous, the EPA would find it and blow it out of proportion. If there was the tiny... It's a shred. It's not a hint, a whiff of fracking being bad for the environment. The EPA would jump all over it. They got nothing. And even in New York, where there's another massive shale reserve called the Marcellus uh, Reserve, um, Governor Cuomo banned all fracking in the state. And his health department, full of his cronies, in far-left progressive New York, said that fracking does not endanger the public in any way. So even Cuomo's people couldn't find a reason for banning fracking. But they still banned it until they can find a reason to ban it. <laughs> right. right. So there's, there's no reason to ban it, but they banned it anyway, and then maybe one day they'll find a reason to ban it. But until then, they're still banning it. There's nothing in our country that could have a bigger economic impact with the least amount of government effort as fracking. Like the government doesn't have to do anything. Just get out of the way. 
and smart people are going to figure out how to get that oil to us, which provides thousands of jobs and makes life more affordable for all of us. But I don't know. I can't allow that. Texas, another example. I mentioned North Dakota in the beginning. Texas, um, the president brags about creating 1.3 million jobs since 2008. 1.3 million. If you eliminate the job growth in Texas over that period, we'd be minus a million jobs. All of the job growth nationwide is Texas. Let me word it like this. Without Texas, we'd still have fewer jobs than uh, than 2007. And part of that is fracking, which the EPA says is safe. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Crusaders 1-888-933-93 in the category of strange admissions made. Just talked about the EPA admitting that fracking is safe. Want to go to the New York Times. Uh, They produced a really nice mini documentary. It's about 12 minutes. Debunking the claims. Which isn't hard to do, but still they did it. Uh, Debunking the claims made from Paul Yerlich. Paul Ehrlich is the author of Population Bomb. I think it was written in uh, 1968. And the quick of the story is he took a trip to India and he saw how crowded it was. And he said, if we keep going down this path with so many people, we're going to run out of stuff. We're going to run out of natural resources. And there's going to be mass famine and everyone's going to die. And that's it. He said... That in the year 2000, England won't exist. That was one of his predictions. He said in 1970, he said, there's no way India could feed 200 million more people by 1980. Well, today, India feeds 800 million more people than they did in 1970. And of course, there's still hunger in India, but, and we don't have time now, maybe another day, we can talk about how those are political issues. Hunger in most countries is caused by corrupt and unstable governments, not overpopulation. It's not that there's not enough food. It's that it's, there's difficulty getting food to people who need it. And that's because of corrupt governments. So when Paul Yerlich is making these predictions, these ridiculous predictions about the end of the world, these apocalyptic predictions, there were about 3 billion people. Now there's 7 billion. Hunger has gone down, famine has gone down, diseases have gone down, poverty has gone down. Now, we've talked a lot about Paul Yerlich. We've talked, Glenn, you've heard Glenn and the guys joke about his doomsday predictions. And we laugh at him now. And we've talked about him before, especially around Earth Day. We talk a lot about this guy. But what I didn't realize until I watched this documentary is how many people fell for this. And how deeply they fell for it. This clip here is, these are just news anchors reporting on overpopulation 
in the world and in America. Clip two. Overpopulation so long predicted has stolen upon us. It's getting worse week by week. The U.S. could be busting out at the seams by the end of the century. If we do not, by humane means, limit our numbers, then numbers are going to be limited by more famines and shortages and consequent social conflicts. Population growth will kill you stone cold dead. Net world population is increasing by 23 people every 10 seconds. It's clear that world population growth remains completely out of control. Look at what the year 2000 will be. Our cities are going to be choked with people. They're going to be choked with traffic. They're going to be choked with crime. They're going to be choked with pollution. And they will be impossible places in which to live. Isn't that amazing? That, that was Nixon right there. And before that was Walter Cronkite. So the, these predictions about the end of the world, overpopulation and the rest, this wasn't just some crazy biologist guy who wrote a book and a couple of nuts agreed with them. This was widespread fully accepted belief. I want to play, this is a clip of Dr. Yerlich uh, today, uh, clip three. We had formed an organization called Zero Population Growth, and then Johnny took me on The Tonight Show. Would you welcome Dr. Paul Ehrlich? We have to get the death rate and birth rate in balance, and there's only two ways to do it. One is to bring the birth rate down, the other is to push the death rate up. I did the show maybe 20 times, and we went from six chapters and 600 members to 600 chapters and 60,000 members. We are starting in now. This is the first step. So did you hear that? He said we need to either increase the death rate or decrease the birth rate. Hence, his group is called Zero Population Groups. Now you think, all right, hold on. Increase the birth rate. Excuse excuse me. Increase the death rate. So we more people to die faster. Or decrease the birth rate. So how would we do that? Well, in his book, he says we need to um, blacklist people and companies that are impeding population control. Right? We need to boycott those companies. He said the government should have a responsibility prize, so money for married couples who don't have kids. He says there should be a $600 tax on each of the first two kids you have and a $1,200 tax for every kid after that. And he suggested a luxury tax on diapers and cribs and toys. And then he said, so you can see all those are just, those are nudges, as Cass Sunstein would say today, right? We're just nudging people to change their behavior a little bit. We're going to tax a little bit here. We're going to hand subsidize a little bit over here. We're going to put a little social pressure over here and do a little boycott uh, on this side of town. You see what I'm saying? Little, got a little things here and there. But then he said if the voluntary methods fail, and this is why I bring this up, if the voluntary methods fail, well, then we need to force birth rates down or force death rates up. And people are so swept up by this. Let me focus on just the birth rate part. People were so swept up by this. He even wrote in the New York Times a proposal to put drugs in food that would make people sterile and wasn't laughed out of town. That's that's that, that's my point about how swept up people were by this. Like, oh, well, that's an interesting, interesting suggestion. Huh? New York Times headline, the right to breed, freedom to procreate, Equals freedom to starve children. New York Times headline. 
Right, so you see the zero-sum game that they're playing, right? Like, if you have one kid, that means some other kid goes starving. Freedom to procreate equals freedom to starve children. Now, none of this really uh, became official in America. But it was much worse in the developing world, especially India. And here's why. The elites that have control over India, they much preferred to believe that the cause of the poverty in their country was due to overpopulation as opposed to their own corruption and their own broken socialist economic systems, right? They didn't, any excuse for poverty in their country other than them, they were all about it. So everyone's like, well, we have socialism. It's not working and there's too much corruption in government. They're like, whoa, no, no, it's overpopulation. So they jumped all over. So what did they do? Well, nudging people wasn't enough. They weren't so kind. So in the mid-1970s, India had mass sterilization movements. And people were told that if you want food aid, then you have to become sterile. And others weren't even given that choice. Here's some news reports back from the 70s. Clip four. More than 8 million sterilizations were performed, many forcibly. The people, in the words of one family planning expert, were treated like cattle. Several days ago, crowds formed to protest being sterilized. The police opened fire and killed at least 50 of them. Killed 50 people. Now it's back in the 70s. We don't have to go back that far. Last year, 83 women in India were sterilized in a government program. Each woman was given $10 to go sterile. All the surgeries were done in six hours by one doctor in an assembly line. Eight women died. This was just last year. So you can see what happens when you, when you have a progressive ideology. Gosh, there's so many points to make. When you live, when you have an ideology that places the planet over people, then you see how you get anti-people policies in a very profound way. Not like, hey, let's tax diapers, but hey, let's forcibly sterilize women. Like, <laughs> so very profoundly, people matter less than the planet. And don't be mistaken, it wasn't we need population control for people's sake. It's we need population control for the planet's sake. Slider, I don't believe you. That sounds like uh, it's too extreme. Uh, okay, uh, we'll play one more clip. This is Paul Yerlich. Uh, this is the guy who started it. He's still around today and standing by everything he said. Uh, this is what he said just the other day, clip five. I do not think my language is too apocalyptic in the population bomb. My language would be even more apocalyptic today. The idea that every woman should have as many babies as she wants uh, is, to me, exactly the same kind of idea as everybody ought to be permitted to throw as much of their garbage into their neighbor's backyard as they want. Babies are like garbage. See, see, see the analogy, so you throwing garbage in your neighbor's yard hurts your neighbor. You having babies and throwing them into the planet hurts the planet. And this was, he, this guy was on Johnny Carson 20 times. Now, the reason Yerlich was wrong and is still wrong is because he overlooked the most important natural resource there is, and that is human ingenuity. He didn't consider the fact that we are now able to produce more food than ever before. And he was never, he's not smart enough, he was not uh, wise enough 
to even consider natural resources. I mean, we just talked about fracking. We're finding oil reserves that we never knew existed, and we're able to get to them that we were never able to do before. And when we're really running out of something, like let's say copper, because we're building a lot of telephone wires, well, then we invent fiber optic cables, which are made out of sand. So we don't need copper telephone wires anymore. And now we have wireless. Right, so human ingenuity gets better. So we never are going to run out of natural resources ever. And really, the, the big problem, if you really want to talk about population problems, there's many countries, especially Japan, where the population is dwindling. The real problem in the next 40 years isn't that there's going to be too many people, but not enough people. But we'll save that for another day. My biggest point is all of this hysteria, all of this, over what one scientist said, led to massive, harmful, and even deadly government controls. And they're not done yet. Our president was on NPR three days ago. And he was talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the trade agreement, right, that no one's allowed to see. This is what he told NPR. He said, if we want to solve something like climate change, which is one of my highest priorities, then I've got to be able to get into places like, this is such a crazy sentence, then I've got to be able to get into places like Malaysia and say to them, this climate change is in your interest. What leverage do I have to get them to stop deforestation? Well, part of the leverage is if I'm in a trade relationship with them that allows me to raise standards. And this is why I believe President Obama's, this president's greatest international, I don't want to say achievement because that seems like a positive thing. There's a positive connotation. Greatest international contribution. <laughs> that sounds positive too. But you know what I mean? We're going to look back on his presidency in whatever, 50 years. And when it comes to foreign policy, his biggest achievement is not going to be anything with Iran. It's not going to be anything with Israel or Iraq or Afghanistan. It's going to be this trade deal that no one's really talking about and no one has ever seen. Because this trade deal is going to be this president's way to socially engineer the world. And when the people in charge truly believe that human beings are a burden and that pro pro like real progress and real economic uh, prosperity is bad, as opposed to understanding that people are a resource with a limitless potential and economic growth is good, their social engineering is not going to end well. There's dangerous people, really, truly dangerous ideologies, I should say, running our country right now. And once the president passes this trade agreement, he's able to get into places like Malaysia. What a scary sentence that is. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Kazzy Porty. How about that for a name? He's 18 years old. Two weeks ago, he received the worst news of his life. His parents were killed in a car accident. 
uh, drunk driver they were hit by. Officer Allison was the first on the scene. Oh, I should say these two parents had five children. Officer Allison was first there, and he was tasked with breaking the news to the family. So he went to their home and found the youngest son, Cassie, there, home alone. The son took it like any 18-year-old would. And it was just the two of them in the house crying together. And Cassie said, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to go to graduation next week. And Officer Allison said, well, you're going to walk. Your mom and dad will have front row seats looking down from heaven. And I'll stand in their place. I've got your back. The week went by. Cassie decided to walk. And when the principal called his name, he shook her hand, received his diploma, looked up. And at the end of the stage was Officer Ellison fulfilling his promise. Cassie says, seeing Officer Ellison there to congratulate me meant the world. It's nice to see that he showed actual, genuine care for me and my family situation instead of us just being another case. That's Officer Ellison emphasizing the serve in protect and serve. And my favorite part of the story from Cassie, he said, my parents talked just last month, told me how proud they were of me for graduating, and not just for graduating, but how proud of me they were for the man I've become. And knowing that truly warms my heart with joy. Well done, officer. And well done, Cassie. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three. Two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. On to hour three of our show here this fine afternoon. Um, I want to talk about the NSA, but not really about the NSA because all the other guys have done a great job talking about the NSA. I want to talk about how an all-powerful government can destroy your life if they want to. And I got two examples from this week. First, Dennis Hasser. Uh, Dennis was the uh, Speaker of the House before Nancy Pelosi, so from 1999 to 2007. Uh, and he was in the news last week because he is being accused of paying $3.5 million of hush money to someone from his hometown to, to keep quiet about what is now believed, and I, I guess everyone's in agreement with this, uh, to be some sexual interaction that he had uh, with a boy when he was a high school wrestling coach. And this is what's so strange about this whole thing. <laughs> How do I say it? Let's, let's break it down to a few things. First, paying someone hush money is not illegal. I, I don't, not enough people have said this over the week. Paying someone hush money, not illegal. Blackmail is illegal. So demanding money from someone for not revealing something about them, 
That's illegal. So uh, let's say uh, I find out something horrible in your past. And I say, Charlie, give me a million dollars or else I'm going to tell everyone about this adulterous affair you've had or whatever. I go to jail because I'm committing blackmail. That's, it's illegal for me to do that. But if you know that I know something and you say, hey, Slater, here's a million bucks. Keep quiet. You giving me a million dollars, not illegal. So you're thinking, okay, well, why was Hastert arrested? Was he arrested because of the having sex with an underage boy? Nope. And that's what I don't get about, like, why not? <laughs> why was he not arrested for that? I don't know. I. But, and maybe it's because I, I, do I hear right that that boy's, he's, he's passed, he's not, he's a man now, but he, I think he passed away. I don't even think he's alive anymore. So is that why? That can't be right. I don't know. I don't know why. So you think, well, okay, well, why was he arrested? He was arrested for lying to the FBI. Oh, okay. So he lied to the FBI about having sex with a young boy. Nope. <laughs> what did he lie to the FBI about? Well, when he was making this 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 uh, hush money, hush hush money, hush money payments, he would make withdrawals from his bank account over ten thousand dollars. And when you withdraw more than ten thousand dollars from the bank, the bank tells the federal government. And when the bank told him, hey, you know, we have to tell the federal government every time we make a bank withdrawal, then he started making withdrawals just under $10,000. So then the feds found out that he was evading the $10,000 reporting law. So really, Hassett was hosed either way. Either he withdrew more than $10,000 and was reported for that, or he withdrew less than $10,000 and was also reported. And all of that was for doing something that's not illegal. Paying someone hush money, not illegal. You can think it's wrong, it's moral, sure, sure, sure. Not illegal. It would be just the same as if Hazard was withdrawing $10,000 to make house payments for cash. Or I don't know. That's not illegal to make house payments. Well, it's not illegal to pay someone hush money either. So that money laundering reporting law was passed to stop drug money. But this time he got Dennis Hassert for doing something completely legal. I mean, don't you think that's crazy? No, so they got him because the FBI questioned him about it, and he lied about it. So that's what they got him on. They got him on lying to the FBI and evading the $10,000 reporting law. But I hope I'm not the only one who sees how this can be used in very dangerous ways. What an example of the federal government, if they want to, can find some reason to arrest you. Right. I don't even know why they I don't I really don't know why he wasn't arrested for having sex with a boy. Like or I mean whatever is happening. I mean if that's what really happened. I mean they they got him on lying to the FBI about withdrawing money that's completely legal to do in order to pay for something that's completely legal. This is why it's dangerous for the federal government to have access to every phone call that you've ever made and every email that you've ever sent. Except for Hillary Clinton's emails. And everyone at the IRS. Those are all gone. But yours aren't. And if someone in power wants to arrest you, they can. And they'll find a way.
I'll save the next example for the next segment. Um, the short of it is Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat senator from Rhode Island, former, current, I'm sorry, current. He wrote an editorial in the Washington Post last week arguing that people who deny climate change should be arrested and charged with racketeering activity. This is a, a senator. So this is some crazy left-wing loon. This is a U.S. senator says that people against climate change should be arrested under the RICO laws, right? Which is like what brought down the mob. And also the FIFA executives were brought down under RICO as well. So, okay, let's say that happened. Let's say we get this crazy mass hysteria, like we talked about in the uh, last hour with in the 60s, the whole population bomb. Everyone's like, there's too many people. All right, crazy hysteria about it. Same thing here with climate change. Let's say it reached the pinnacle and... People think it's a great idea to arrest. I'm not, this is a U.S. senator, and not not, and it wasn't even a passing statement. U.S. senator writing down his argument, typing it out, sending it to the Washington Post. I think the Washington Post, and they printed it. We should arrest climate change deniers under racketeering laws. Okay, so let's say they go ahead and they do that. How are they going to know everything you've done? How will the government know what the climate change denying groups are saying and what they're doing and what they're thinking, the NSA? If they want to get you, they will find a way, and the NSA makes it a lot easier. And I know this sounds crazy, and I know this sounds dramatic, but this is why we fought the Revolutionary War. Warrantless searches. They were called writs of assistance. General warrants. This was the reason why we fought the Revolutionary War. Writs of assistance where the British could just search anywhere at any time for anything that could possibly get you in trouble. If you ask 100 people why we fought the Revolutionary War, you'll get, uh, I don't know, 60 people say um, taxation without representation. You'll get 30 people say... uh, taxes right t the boston tea party or something and then you get 10 people who say separation of church and state or whatever and none of those are necessarily wrong but the real reason the number one reason warrantless searches and here we have them today and no one cares and no one cares because the old well i'm not doing anything illegal doesn't matter Either was Dennis Hassard. Now you're saying, well, yes, he had sex with a boy, but that's not what they got him on. So, I mean, I, I know it's weird to say this, but like, forget about that for a second for this argument. They didn't get him. They didn't arrest him for that. Right. He's no saint. Don't get me. I'm not defending him. For, let's say he, let's say he was genuinely just withdrawing money to give to friends or just pay friends and family members just for, because he loves them or whatever. They would still arrest him. The government will arrest you for anything. They'll find a way. Guys, I hope I'm not wearing my tinfoil hat a little too tightly today. But do you, If the federal government has access to everything you search, everyone you call, every email you send, that has to bother you. A little bit. 
No. And the common rebuttal to that is, is a shoulder shrug with a I have nothing to hide. And I'm going to quote someone else, also not a saint, but I find this sentence to be accurate. Edward Snowden. He said, arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you don't have anything to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. It doesn't matter if you have nothing to hide. Not only is this a right. Oh, wait, someone just sent me a Twitter. Mark, th- Mark said the guy who dies is not the same guy that Dennis Hassard is paying off. So who's he paying off? Is he paying off someone who knew about it? Either way. It doesn't matter because paying someone off is not illegal. So, um, right, so arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about the free speech because you have nothing to say. It's not the, that we have anything to hide or even that you don't have anything to say. It's the right to privacy is the end. That's what's important, even if you have nothing to hide. one 888 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusaders, uh, tell me the NSA why it's dangerous. Just use Dennis Hassard as an example. Again, he's no saint. Uh, if what the accusations are true, then, I mean, it's awful. <laughs> um, but the FBI didn't get him for that. Right, the, NFA, the NSA or the FBI didn't arrest him for what he did as a high school wrestling coach. And just a quick sidebar, um, just, so you, just so you know who we're dealing with here. Uh, in the late 1990s, President Clinton was impeached for lying about a sexual affair. Uh, he was impeached by Newt Gingrich, who was at that time, hiding a sexual affair. Who was supposed to be replaced by another congressman, Bob Livingston. But he stepped down when, when he revealed that he also was having a sexual affair. Which then led to the election of a new Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, who's now indicted for lying about payments covering up his sexual contact with a boy when he was a high school wrestling coach. So, <laughs> there, we're in the best of hands. Anyway, the point is, NSA, with the power they have and the federal government, if they want to arrest you, if they want to find a reason, they can. And this is my second example of why this is dangerous, just from this last week. A senator from Rhode Island wrote an editorial in the New York Times. Sheldon Whitehouse is his name. The headline is, The Fossil Fuel Industry's Campaign to Mislead the American People. So he starts out talking about big tobacco, who for years have denied the health dangers of smoking. And he says that that was until a federal judge said that uh, big tobacco was 
um, engaged in a, a racketeering enterprise, right? Because they paid scientists to produce misleading studies, and then they paid for a huge PR campaign to spread uh, doubt about the real science, and then they attacked their opponents, and blah, 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 blah. So they got them under the RICO Act, right? The Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, which was started in, the 19, I think, 1970 to go after the mob, but was used to win lawsuits against the tobacco companies. So the senator says that the same thing should happen to those denying climate change. <laughs> he said, quote, in the case of fossil fuels, just as with tobacco, the industry joined together in a common enterprise and coordinated strategy. He says, after the Kyoto Protocol in 1998, which did nothing, there were memos leaked from oil companies trying to undermine the climate change science. Um, here, the senator says that there were coordinated tactics of the climate denial network to undermine the climate science. And he ends with this. He says, to be clear, I don't know whether the fossil fuel industry and its allies engaged in the same kind of racketeering activity as the tobacco industry. We don't have enough information to make that conclusion. Perhaps it's all smoke and no fire, but there's an awful lot of smoke. Wink, wink, nod, nod. So the point is, U.S. Senator, not some crazy left-wing loon, well, yes, but also a U.S. Senator saying that we need to stop all these people and all these organizations involved in undermining the science of climate change this is why the nsa program is dangerous to us because when politicians want to do things like this like they if they take this seriously and this becomes a thing they now have the tools to do it they have access to every email and every phone call made by every group against climate change that is so i mean do you want any political party any group of people any person to have that kind of power never and the craziest thing to me is the the left like who's their worst enemy ted cruz let's say ted cruz gets into power and he becomes corrupt with power and he starts doing this and goes against uh, Planned Parenthood or something. I mean, I don't know. Some some left wing group and tears them down. Like, no, that's not not appropriate. And it's gonna happen. It's gonna go both ways, back and forth. All we want is to get back to the Fourth Amendment, where you need a warrant. That's all anyone's asking for. We're not we're not asking for criminals and terrorists to get away with everything scot free. Get a warrant. Don't spy on people. Get a warrant. There's a local example uh, here in California. The San Bernardino sheriff has admitted to using the stingray hundreds of times. I think he said 320 times or something. Over 300 times. The stingray is a device where, uh, let's say you, uh, they, they, the guy, let's say the sheriff has it in his car and he parks on the side of the highway. You drive by it or anywhere within the vicinity of it. Your cell phone thinks that that device is a cell phone tower. So your cell phone connects to this device automatically. And then police download all the data off your phone. And it doesn't just do it for one guy. 
they have a warrant for it. It works with anyone's phone who drives within the area. And this sheriff, a San Bernardino, used it over 300 times, never once with a warrant. So this is happening all the time. If we go down this, you know, we want to arrest you for disagreeing with us. And we're going to get your information without a warrant. This can't possibly end well. The Fourth Amendment is there for a reason. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't random. It was because our founding fathers went through this exact same thing. And we don't have time to go through the whole thing now, but it was James Otis who gave the speech in the Boston State House, and it was about against the writs of assistance against these general warrants. And it was John Adams who was in a young John Adams was in the audience, and he said that speech is what sparked his involvement in the Revolutionary War. This five-hour speech that James Otis gave in the Boston State House, John Adams was in the audience and was just amazed at at what he said and how he said it, and that's what got him involved in the beginnings of the revolution. Warrantless searches. And here we have it again. And just one last comment generally about the Patriot Act. It seems that when we have the, uh, well, we want the Patriot Act when our guy is president. And then the other team, the other side gets on and they say, well, we want the Patriot Act when our guy is president. Right? When, when something fits into that framework, almost guaranteed it's a bad thing. Right? When a party's like, well, I want it when I'm in charge, but not when they're in charge. Mm, prob- throw a flag on the field. Probably not a good thing. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater um got a tweet here Let's see it was the other day i'm just gonna pull it up uh singing calf slater uh have you seen o'reilly bill o'reilly talking about pacific educational group this week I learned of it from you first. Oh, thank you, singing cat. Um, I'm not I'm the first person to talk about it, but in her world, yes. Um, let me back up for a second. My wife and I went to some friend's house for church last Sunday night. And there were eight of us there. Uh, and, and the hosts, they have two kids, four and five, or five and six. Something like that. They are the stinking cutest kids you've ever seen in your life. Off the charts. And more important than off the charts cute, off the charts well-behaved. They sat quietly throughout the entire dinner. And when they were done eating, they, they went off and played. And they came back and they were super polite. And uh, the five or six-year-old girl was there and, and I asked her uh, what her favorite book is. And she said, history. History books. And I said, all right, fine. If you could go back in time any time in history when would it be and you know what she said without a without skipping a beat 
She said, I would go back in time to meet Susan B. Anthony. Okay, she's five years old, five, six years old. And then she told me all about Susan B. Anthony. And then, and then at the end, she's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I would go to meet Helen Keller. And then she shut her eyes and put her hands over her ears. Right? <laughs> so, and then they went out to go play. And uh, it was like 8.30, bedtime. And the little boy, who was like four or five, he, we're all still sitting around the table. And he walks around and gives every person around the table a goodnight hug. I thought my wife was going to melt right there on the floor. I, I thought we were going to have to go get some paper towels and, and wipe. And like, she couldn't believe it. And he went around to each person and gave him a hug. He never met. I never met the kid before. Unbelievably sweet and well-behaved and respectful. And, and we said, Mom, what, what are you? And she said, you get out what you put into it. Meaning parenting. Then, the next day, I read a headline on Drudge Report. Teachers complain. Chaos reigns. As St. Paul schools spend millions on white privilege training. This is the Pacific Educational Group. It's a group out of San Francisco. They teach schools. They go across the country. Here in San Diego, they've worked with local schools. They've worked with the county school board. They've worked with the state school board. Uh, they've worked with the, all the different unions, all the parent-teacher associations. They've, worked with every, they've infiltrated every aspect of education in the state of California and many other states across the country. And they teach uh, teachers to be aware of their white privilege and to also not talk about white traits in the classroom. Now you think of what's a white trait. Well, a white trait is showing up on time and planning for the future and saying and believing that hard work is the key to success. Those are white traits. So stop teaching those things because you're alienating minority students. It is wildly racist. Now, we've talked a lot about it before on this show. We don't need to go into more detail about that. Um, but there's another aspect to the Pacific Educational Group. And I I'd encourage you to contact your school board. And they're not going to want to answer you. So please be uh, consistent and persistent. If they've ever done any work with Pacific Educational Group. And ask your kids if they've ever been instructed these things. But there's no school district in the country that has taken a more <laughs> that has taken the dive headfirst into the, the chaos that is Pacific Educational Group more than the St. Paul School District. Over the last five years, they've spent three million dollars. Three million. So they're six years in a major investment into the Pacific Educational Group philosophy. And what is the result? If I may, from a St. Paul newspaper. A student walks down a uh, the Harding High hallway wearing headphones, chanting along to violent rap lyrics. Teacher Eric Brandt taps him on the shoulder. Turn it down, he gestures. The kid stares at Brandt with chilling intensity. 
He points at the older man, fingers bent in the shape of a gun, and shoots, then moves on. Apparently at this one high school, every day there are 50 kids who they call roamers. And they roam the school. And they, they, they go to school for free breakfast and free lunch and, all, and, and free Wi-Fi and free heat or air conditioning. And then they just wander the halls. And the school doesn't care because they get money for kids who show up. And the teachers aren't allowed to do anything about it. They're not allowed to discipline. Because one of Pacific Educational Group's issues is discipline. The one side is white privilege, the other side is discipline. And they say that discipline has been given to minority students more than white kids. So, therefore, stop disciplining kids. That's the way. If that's not the progressive ideology in a nutshell right there, I don't know what is. It's the same thing as, well, white people are wealthier than than, uh, black people. So let's make white people less wealthy, right? I mean, that's the same, like, bring everyone down as opposed to bringing everyone up. So it's like, wow, minority kids are uh, being uh, uh, disciplined more than, than white kids. Well, let's just not discipline anyone ever. And again, St. Paul School District, they are, pff, they're, I don't even want to say they're, they're neck deep in it because they dove in head first. At the St. Paul School Suspensions have been replaced with timeouts. Timeouts. High school students. And because they know they can get away with anything, it's just game on. But they keep showing up. Kids show up every day. Got to get the free food. Got to get the free Wi-Fi. Don't have to get the free education. Quote, when the bell sounds the start of class, students remain in the halls. Those who tire of lectures simply stand up and leave. They hammer, how about this? They hammer into rooms where they belong, inflicting mischief and malice on their peers. Teachers call it classroom invasion. One teacher says her students have a secret knock if they want to enter the room because so many kids keep coming in and starting fights. She will only open the door if you give the secret knock. It's total chaos. Think about that. You're a teacher. You're trying to do the best you can. And then in the middle of the class, one of these thugs, gang, I don't know who, like hooligans, misguided youths, runs in the room and starts a fight with you and with their students. What are you supposed to do? So she locks the door. I, I brought this up on the local show and we had teachers call and be like, yep, we lock our door. And the one teacher said, yeah, we lock our door. But I, I, didn't, I never uh, had the idea for the secret knock. That's a good idea. Instructors who break up fights get beaten in the process, thrown into bookcases while trying to bar their doors. Um, let me take a break here. Uh, if you're a teacher, if you've seen this before, I'd love to get your assessment. one 900 and I hope the relevance of this is obvious. I don't think we really need to talk about right that, right? I mean, these kids are going to graduate uh, or not. Uh, they're going to supposedly enter the workforce, and it's going to be a disaster, and they're going to be on welfare their entire lives, if not in jail. And it's, it's just a spiral of chaos because they're going to go to jail, and then there's going to be complaints about too many minorities in jail, 
And then we're just not going to throw anyone in jail. <laughs> it's, it's, gosh, it goes back around to the, oh, perfect. Sorry, let me take this in because I love when this happens. Because we never mean it to happen. I love when it comes full circle. The whole first hour of the show was about false compassion. That's what this is. These are people who think they're being compassionate by saying, oh, I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to suspend. I get it. Like, we don't want to suspend kids who misbehave because then they miss school and then they're further behind and then they spiral down. Okay. I get that. But you're not being compassionate by not disciplining kids. Kids thrive on discipline. They thrive with boundaries. They need them. They thirst for them. And this whole situation needs adults. But the adults are checking out. All under the name of compassion. Whatever. 1-888-900-3393. Take some calls next. If you've experienced this, either as a teacher or a parent, and your kids come home and they're just like, it's a zoo. It's impossible to do anything in school. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Pacific Educational Group, they're trouble, but just one of the pawns in the progressive uh, movement here infiltrating the schools, certainly. Uh, one side of it is whole white privilege. The other side is not disciplining anyone. Uh, total free-for-all. Uh, I want to go to Linda, who's in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio, who is a teacher. Linda, how are you? I'm wonderful. You know, there are conservative teachers. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for being one of them. There, it sounds like. And, and you know what? You know what you have to do is just unleash us so that we can we can talk our convictions in the classroom because yeah. the liberal teachers certainly do. And I know that I know there are good teachers and good conservatives and good people with good values. But aren't a lot of teachers just scared, Linda? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there's. There, I'm one of two openly conservative teachers, and I mean, I had to come out. It was like maybe <laughs> I don't know because I'm straight. It was maybe like coming out as a homosexual. Was, it was like, your Caitlyn Jenner like, moment, Linda. Like, yeah. I, I, what a weird yeah. sentence. I, I'm the, I'm one of the two openly conservative. What a bizarre sentence that even is. Um, right, Linda, right. I hate. I hate. We only have two minutes. Uh, what's your? Okay. Um, do you have a story about discipline? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, there was a kid that threatened to shoot me. And he was expelled for 45 days, and I had him back in my classroom. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there was another. I, I, this was the first year, however, that I did not have to send my son in college a wrongful death memo. What do you mean? Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. So, what, what's I mean, that? Kids would, threaten me. kids would threaten me. He's off to college, and I tell him, Nick, if I'm ever shot, that's my son's name, if I'm ever shot, you are to immediately file a wrongful death lawsuit against my school district. And I send him memos, and, you know, this was set on this date, and this was done on this date, you know, to help him with the lawsuit. And he goes to pick up his uh, mail. He's in college, and his girlfriend says, oh, what's that? He goes, oh, nothing, just a wrongful death memo for my mom. And his girlfriend goes, what? 
How about how about being a teacher? Being a teacher, fearing for your life. Being a teacher. Now, are you in a particularly dangerous school? Heck yeah. Yeah. So you're so you're in a bad one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's scary. But there, I was telling the person before I called. There are some wonderful kids. You know, and that's what keeps me going. You know, you concentrate on those wonderful kids, and um, you you know you help them as much as you can, and, sure. and you just try to stay positive. That's what you do. Yeah, but they're getting they're getting hurt by all this too. Obviously, they're getting hurt by it, and there is a lack of discipline. And we call our you call them roamers. We call them frequent flyers. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and it's true. You cannot discipline the kids, and they know it. That's true too. Um, and and what has to happen is, number one, it unleash us so that we can start giving the message because because the kids and I I, I don't want to take too much time, but but yep. but these kids know that liberalism is a scam, but they don't quite know how. Mm. And if I didn't feel scared to talk to them, I could turn them around. One time I did, and I, and I will tell them, you know, I'm a conservative Christian. I don't like Barack Obama. The first couple of times you get, ooh, she don't like Barack Obama. And yeah. then they start listening. And I had I had an openly lesbian teacher come and uh, and ring me out because I told her, you know, I told the class that I thought that Trayvon Martin attacked the guy. And I said, look it up. Don't believe me. You know, yep. um, Zimmerman had had wounds. He had a broken nose. Look it up. And, um, you know, it's incontrovertible. And this lesbian teacher who was not there at the time the next day, leave me out. How dare you say that? Hmm. Amazing. Uh, Linda, I, I hate we got to run. I wish we could talk longer. You're wonderful. Please keep it up. And please, as you said, keep reaching the wonderful kids. Um, and they'll look I back will. and they'll know the great work you've done for them. And you keep doing what you're doing, too. Thank you. We'll do it. Linda, thank you so much for calling. Um, we got we got it at the top. I wish we could talk longer. Um, let me say this. Wife and I this year, we think we want to have our, our first kid. Um, but every once in a while, something will happen in society. And my wife will wonder if we should bring someone into this world. Have <laughs> you ever thought that before? Um, and, and my response is, wife... Maybe our kid's going to be the one to fix this broken society. Maybe our kid's going to be someone like Linda. And I know it sounds so hopeless. It sounds so broken, so dark, such a lost cause, this country. But we can't give up hope. All of this was created. It can be uncreated as well. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.